Welcome to the Sleep by Shay podcast. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Goodnight Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep and follow me on Instagram at Shay Morrison. On today's episode, we are talking sleep, burnout and fatigue with naturopath Jules Galloway. With 62% of Australian workers reporting that they feel burned out, it is an area that we need to delve into and uncover what is driving the rise of burnout and fatigue in 2023 and how can we try and reverse this. Sleep plays such a big role in this landscape and it is the ongoing quest to balance these two parts to reduce burnout and fatigue and help people live in optimal health and wellness through great sleep. If you find yourself continuously waking up in the mornings and feeling unrefreshed or like you've been hit by a bus, then you might find some golden nuggets in this chat. I would like to remind listeners that while we discuss a wide range of topics on the show, any advice I give is purely my own opinion. If you want to delve deeper and require further support in your sleep health journey, please speak to your preferred healthcare professional so they can tailor their service to your particular health and medical needs. I do hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get started. Now, Jules has a huge background when it comes to being a naturopath. She has been a naturopath for 17 years, which is amazing, well done, and is a really interesting person to speak to because not only is she a naturopath, but she's also embarked on a journey to help other naturopaths as well and does a mentoring program to help mentor naturopaths in business, marketing, and mindset. And then also in specializing in clinical mentoring, one of Jules' specialties is helping people with troublesome cases or complex cases. And she has her own podcast, which she has two podcasts now, uh, recently diagnosed with ADHD. Her and her husband have set up a new podcast, LD ADHD. So let's get started. And Jules, the first question I love to ask is, how did you sleep last night? Oh my goodness, after that intro, I don't know how I'll sleep tonight. <laughs> when it, it's, it's really weird when someone puts it all together like that and you're like, oh wow, I really do a lot of things. You do. I'm going to be really honest. I think I got about six and a half, seven hours sleep, which is right on the threshold of what I need. But mm. yeah, my dog woke me up this morning at about 5am, bless her. She's like 12 years old. And she was Mm -hmm. rustling around in the bedroom. So there went that. And then my mobile phone was way too close to the bed and then I reached for it and it's game over. But, yeah, normally I I try to get between seven and eight hours sleep and I usually manage that. You know, one of the, the topics that we're really here to talk about today is what is fatigue and burnout and how can you recognise these signs? In chatting with so many people, as I'm sure you do, fatigue and burnout, which is what you specialise in as well, is a really chronic issue happening in a lot of people's lives, particularly women, but I think it's widespread amongst children, teenagers, men, older people. What is the definition of fatigue? It's a really interesting one because I think it means different things to different people. And I think you're Mm -hmm. going to get a different definition whether you go to like say a doctor or a naturopath or a nutritionist. So for me, in my practice and in my life, it would be tiredness that's not relieved by sleep. That's the easiest definition. So you're Mm -hmm. getting the right amount of sleep, but you're still waking, feeling like unrefreshed, we call it, like Mm -hmm. kind of like you're being hit by a truck or that real foggy feeling in the morning that, that doesn't lift. 
But also I go further than that with my clients and I usually look at how it's affecting their life. So if that tiredness or that exhaustion is affecting your ability to do the things that you love to do and live your life to the fullest, then it's a problem for me that we have to do something about it. So it could be affecting your work, your study, your relationships, your social life. It could be affecting your ability to go out and do the things you love, like the, you know your playtime, even as grown up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as a naturopath, they're the sorts of things we're looking for. We're looking to see whether it's not just like, you know, in inverted commas, like the usual amount of tiredness for mm. a person's situation and whether it's gone beyond that. What are you seeing when you're seeing people with fatigue? Like what are those symptoms and what do they, what do they describe it as to you? So, so, so many different descriptions. I do get a lot of women, especially through my practice. I, I Hello to the three blokes that do come and see me here on my books, but it's mostly women. I don't know why naturopaths attract women, but we do. Yeah. I think women are a lot more proactive about their health, but they're also often the canary in the coal mines. So they hit trouble faster and have things go wrong mm-hmm. sooner. So a lot of the women who come and see me, they have so many different ways of describing it. Like I said, often they'll say it's, it feels like the batteries have been pulled out and mm. they're just like their energy's draining. Some of them will say they feel like they're walking through mud or walking through pea soup every day. So that real sort of brain fog, heavy, lethargic kind of feeling, I see that a lot. I see people who, for them, it's such a slippery slope that they haven't even gotten around to describing it yet because they didn't really realise how fatigued they were until something else went wrong. So often people will come to me and there'll be like some, you know, big hormonal imbalance issue going on or a thyroid issue going on or something else happening in the mix or like some, you know, joint pain or something autoimmune starting to kick in. And that's really dangerous because what's happened is they've ignored the fatigue until they really crash and burn. And then when we do a timeline, because in a lot of my consults, well, in pretty much all of my consults, I will do like a timeline of what's gone wrong in what order for the client. And we, you know, I ask a lot of questions like, like, okay, so when did you get diagnosed with this thyroid condition? Okay. 2019. Yep. Yep. Got it. How long do you think you had it for before you got diagnosed? And they'll be like, oh, actually looking back, I think I was, I was rolling into that for about three years. Okay, so they were fatigued as part of that three years before the thyroid actually, like, you know, went out to lunch. Mm. So often we will put up with it and put up with it and put up with it and just hope that things will get better or we have other priorities or the kids take priority or work takes priority. Mm. And then one day they wake up and they are completely and utterly flat. And so Mm. I always wish when my clients come to me that they had come a lot sooner but of Mm -hmm. course we're optimists and we're busy and we're driven people and and it doesn't always work like that and we're really terrible at putting ourselves first sometimes so yeah unfortunately when people come to me sometimes the descriptions they're using are pretty bleak and that's Mm -hmm. okay because now we've got a starting point And I think you make a really good point there. And it's a conversation uh, that I was having just yesterday. Um, Majority of your patients are females. And we're entering into this stage, particularly females that are 35 plus, that are really 
pioneering a really different way because even if we were our parents, our mothers may have worked. I know that my mum worked. She didn't start working until I was 10 maybe, whereas there's such a different set of drivers that are put into place for females who are currently 35 to let's say 55. We're in new territory because we are trying to do it all in a world that's very distracted with an overlay of technology, with a huge amount more food choices that may not be the right food choices that are fueling us properly. We are not connected to nature in a way that we probably could be or should be. We are having children later and we're probably looking after aging parents. You know, like there's all of these extra, extra layers being put in there that make it so much harder. So of course females are going to feel fatigued. And then we come into the question of why we're really here and linking it back to sleep. I'm assuming through lots of the conversations that I'm having that women are not prioritizing sleep and it's this chicken and egg scenario. So are they fatigued because they're not sleeping or are they not sleeping because they're fatigued? Because I'd love your um, explanation around that as well because there's there's two things going on. Yeah, and the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> For both of us, yes. yeah, exactly. And it becomes a snowball. It becomes this mm-hmm. massive snowball and it's a really hard loop to break like we are more stressed than we've ever been we are more inflamed than we've ever been we've got more gut issues than we've ever had before all of that can feed into fatigue but it can also feed into poor sleep so there is so much going on under the surface and I've done a lot of chatting with people in the past about and banging on about cortisol our good friend cortisol Oh, I'd love you to talk about We've got this on my notes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so cortisol is one of our stress hormones. So when, when we're in fight or flight, our bodies will first produce adrenaline and that's the thing that we kind of know as being the stress hormone. People are like, oh, yeah, I felt my adrenaline go when I went on that roller coaster or when I got into that near car accident or whatever. But actually adrenaline's not usually the problem. It's our old mate cortisol that kicks in later. So adrenaline is like your, your initial fight or flight hormone. And that's the one, if you're driving down Punt Road in Melbourne and someone slams their brakes on in front of you and you have to swerve or you have to brake or whatever it is, you feel your fingers tingle and you feel that heightened sense, you know, like everything feels more acute in that moment and you can move quicker and make decisions quicker. That's adrenaline. That's great. It's got a really quick heart life. It comes, it helps you out, and then it leaves. Then we've got our mate cortisol, who is your more longer, it's your your longer-term stress hormone. So Cortisol picks up the slack once the adrenaline has passed. So if you continue to be in a stressful situation, cortisol's like, if if adrenaline's like your rocket fuel, cortisol's like your diesel engine, right? Mm. So it turns up and it's just chugga, chugga, chugga along for Mm. the rest of the day until you're not stressed. Now, our bodies don't know the difference between actual danger and stress from the workplace or stress in the home or like you said looking after elderly parents or managing the mental load and doing all the things being everything to everyone big long list of to-do things on the list our our bodies actually don't know that that is different to being in actual danger from like a flood a fire a wild animal at your doorstep etc so our primitive fight or flight system as soon as it sees any kind of stress and busyness registers as stress it goes into producing cortisol and it will keep producing it as long as you're stressed, which means Mm -hmm. it'll keep producing it as long as you're busy. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem because we are always busy. So many of us are just constantly busy. 
shifting from one task to the next, to the next, to the next, without any downtime, without any break. And then this cortisol response starts to, you know, it all gets a little bit ugly because we're not meant to have that much cortisol running around in our bodies that often for that long. Then it starts to cause other systems in the body to become problematic. So it's going to affect your female hormone production, if not in a good way. It's going to affect mm. your thyroid hormone production, not in a good way. It's going to cause a cascade of inflammatory cytokines in the body. So it's going to increase your body's inflammation response. So your inflammatory markers go up. That's not a good thing either. So there's all these extra side things that start happening, like it affects your blood sugar regulation. So you you might find that you crave sugar more or that you don't burn the food that you eat as easily or the, in the same way. So you might get higher blood sugar highs and lower lows. You might end up with nutrient deficiencies. Your immune system might even be in a heightened state or it could be in more of a lowered state. So you might have poor immunity, which makes you more susceptible to illnesses and things that come along. And then, of course, it also affects the gut. And so we now know that when we're stressed and because we've got this gut-brain connection going on, we now know that that gut-brain connection works in two directions. We've always known for a long time that what's going on in the gut can affect the brain, right? So if you talk to any naturopath, they would say, oh, yeah, like if the gut's not right, it's going to affect your production of neurotransmitters. It can lead to things like anxiety, depression, mood stuff. Yep, cool. Now we know that what's going on in the brain can also affect the gut. So when you're stressed, it's also sending messages to the gut as to like how it should act, how much hydrochloric acid it should produce, how many pancreatic enzymes your pancreas should be making, how quickly or how slowly you should be digesting your food. And then, of course, it can also, we now know, can affect your microbiome in the gut. So like your bacterial balance in the gut, once that gut's out of whack, it will then actually affect your neurotransmitter production, et cetera, et cetera. So then you become more anxious and more stressed and more depressed. And if you become more anxious, then when the busy life happens to you, you're more likely to actually have a heightened response, more cortisol comes out. So now you're stuck in this loop where the brain is affecting the gut and the gut is affecting the brain. And it's a really nasty place to get caught because the gut is running the show. And so it's not just mm. affecting your moods, it's affecting every aspect of your body. Naturopaths will tell you all disease begins in the gut. Mm. This is like naturopathic philosophy 101 from like decades and, and centuries ago. Nothing's changed on that front except now we've got really nifty science and studies and like amazing research to prove why it is the case. Now we can be like, oh, look at this bacterial balance or these inflammatory cytokines. But essentially that philosophy rings true now. So when people get stuck in those loops, we have to do something to change that, you know, we have to go in and break that cycle somehow. We've got to get the inflammation down. We've got to like help with the neurotransmitter balance. But of course, we're also looking at sorting out what's going on in the gut because that is running the show. There's so many people I've seen who've come to me with sleep issues where the sleep issue is because of this inflammation that's going on in the brain. And the inflammation's happening in the brain because the gut's not right. And so sometimes when you're looking at someone who's got a sleep problem and you know that it's been started by stress, 
The answer is not just to give them stress herbs or sleep herbs because you know, like right, naturopaths, we love we love some sleep herbs, we love some stress herbs. Like you get, you know, spoiler alert, you come to me for a sleep problem, you're getting sleep herbs anyway. But yeah. on top of all of that, I will also be looking to see whether there are these other systems that are coming into play that also need to be dealt with in order for you to actually get better. So this is where we go right. Have your beautiful, lovely sleep herbs and your, you know, your beautiful sleep routine at night and your meditation and your apps and all of that. Like here are the beautiful, nourishing, wonderful things we know that help people to sleep. And that's your acute prescription. But then we've got your chronic long-term prescription, your long game is to also look at these underlying causes and drivers and address them so that you don't have to keep taking those sleep herbs and do all those things mm -hmm. forever. And I guess, Jules, a lot of those times then, as, as hard as this might be for people to hear, it's making some pretty big lifestyle changes. Mm, people would rather take a pill sometimes. <laughs> I've been in that position too. It's like, okay, can I just supplement my way out of this, please, and thank you, because I don't have time to change anything. But, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Like how long are you going to get away with that for? how long do you want to live do you want to live thriving into your 80s and 90s or are you happy to leave this world sooner potentially with a serious disease or concern don't get me wrong I know that the majority of people just want to take a pill and that's where it sits but I think that there are so many bigger lifestyle changes that are at play in what you you know I mean that explanation was amazing I guess the other question that I would love to know in the morning, so when somebody is waking and we know that the melatonin production is decreasing so that it switches off so that we can get moving with our day and then we want cortisol to kick in. So when we're talking people that are feeling really stressed all the time, because ideally, I'd love your explanation, I'm not a naturopath, so cortisol, we want cortisol in the morning but we want cortisol also to not to spike but to decrease as the day goes on so that melatonin can come back later at the night. What happens for the people that are always feeling stressed? Does that cortisol not decrease? Often their cortisol is always high. But there's also yeah, right. a really nifty thing that you've, you've kind of touched upon there, which is you actually want to have some cortisol going on in the morning. Cortisol is not necessarily the bad guy all the time. Sure. You need the appropriate amount at the appropriate moments to do the appropriate job. So there's mm. this really cool thing called the cortisol awakening response, or it's also known as the cortisol rise response. And we can test for this now with saliva testing. Mm. When you look at what a cortisol rise response is meant to look like in the morning, you're meant to come out of the box. So you open your eyes and you wake up and at that immediate moment, your cortisol is going to be okay like it should be, it should be sitting at like a normal level. And it's a pity we don't have like pictures here because I'd be able to point to like a little chart and for the visual people, they would just get it. So sorry, visual people, sure. you're just going to have to try. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm a visual person. So it's like, it's, so I'd rather point to a whiteboard right now, but we'll give it a go. So you, you come out, you know, you wake up, you open your eyes and your cortisol sitting at like this normal level. Within half an hour, it's meant to go up. So at the half an hour point, at the 13 minutes after you open your eyes, you're meant to have this beautiful little cortisol rise. 
And Dr. Carrie Jones, if you want to see more about this, like this is who I learned it from. Dr. Carrie Jones is a doctor over in the US and she talks about cortisol and female hormones actually a lot. She has a beautiful way of explaining it as well, but I'll, I'll give it a crack. At the 30 minute point, your cortisol is meant to go up a little bit. And that serves a purpose. Like not only does it get you out of bed, it gets you moving, it gets you doing things for the day. There's also a process by which that actually helps your immune system seek out any autoimmune processes that are going on in the body. So any immune system dysfunction in the body Mm -hmm. that is heading towards an autoimmune situation and it goes out and neutralizes that. There is this really cool interplay that's going on at that 30-minute mark when your cortisol goes up just that little bit that actually switches on your body's homeostasis, which Mm. basically means it's going out, it's looking for problems, and it's fixing them. Our bodies are freaking amazing. Then after that 30-minute point, it's meant to drop again. And so at the 60-minute point, it should be back down. So what you would see if I was pointing to a whiteboard right now would be like this little mountain, like a little triangle peak. And then throughout the day, there are meant to be little peaks and troughs, but there's actually like a a reference range for like when we do testing, there's a reference range for the 12 p.m. spot, the 3 p.m. spot, and the 9 p.m. spot, and that's what we measure because at the 9 p.m. spot, it's meant to have another little rise, but not like in the morning, but this tiny little blip where it goes up and then it goes back down, and then when it finally goes back down again after 9 p.m., it goes down for good and you sleep. Yeah, there's this beautiful kind of interplay that's going on between those cortisol levels and all these systems in your body. They serve purposes, like you said, like melatonin comes into play and all those beautiful things. Cortisol's not necessarily the bad guy, but it's got to be the right amount at the right time. And we will often test people. So it's a it's called a cortisol awakening response test where they wake up and they do six saliva tests throughout the day. They do one at zero minutes. You wake up, roll over, and then take a saliva swab while you're still in bed. Then the 30-minute point, then that beautiful 60-minute point, then midday, 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. And that's why that sort of testing, I believe, is far superior than just rocking up at a pathology lab at like 10 o'clock in the morning and having a Mm. blood cortisol test, which is what a lot of GPs use as their standard cortisol test, because that doesn't check any of those other points where cortisol is actually supposed to be doing its most important thing. So back to the long-term stress situation, quite often when people have been going through stress for quite a long time, you will see Either they come out of the blocks too hard, so that zero-minute point where they wake up, they're already too high. And because Mm. they're already too high when they wake up, they've got nowhere to go. So it means their car, their cortisol awakening response is flat, right? So it goes from high to sort of high to kind of the same, like there's no rise, right? There's nothing going, there's no little mountaintop peak in the morning. Mm. It's just high. You can see cars that are flat. You can see ones that start high and actually go down at the 30-minute mark and down at the 60-minute mark. So it's like a it's like a car slope. It's not even flat. And then yeah. you can see all kinds of stuff. One of the things I often see in my stressed people is the 9 p.m. rise is way too high. And I know there's going to be people listening who will nod their heads to this because I think a lot of us have been there. You're sitting on the couch you're kind of starting to, you know, nod your head and your eyelids are getting heavy and you're like, oh, I really should stop watching Netflix now and go to bed. I'll definitely start watching Netflix at the end of this episode. And it gets to about 9 p.m. 
and suddenly you're like bing and you're awake and then you Mm. watch another two or three Netflix episodes before going to bed because suddenly you're not tired and if that's happening to one of my clients I will often be suspecting this cortisol issue where they're Mm. kind of flat 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 lowish 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 and then boom 9 p.m up they go right when and it goes too high and then they're stuck with this high cortisol at bedtime going oh I was tired two hours ago so there's so much that can go on when you are stressed that can start to cause these sorts of like imbalances in the cortisol system and I mean once people have been stressed for a really long time like years or really severe stress like sometimes we'll also see them go into burnout where the cortisol will be really low like too low throughout the day and no rise in the morning, et cetera. So that sort of testing, you can tell I love nerding out on that stuff. Uh, I could talk about it all day, but I'll shut up now. So if they do have then high cortisol, late high cortisol, then what should they actually be doing apart from not watching Netflix until (laughs) 1am or Netflix at all? Do as I say, not as I do. I'll give you that advice. Uh, Guilty too. Yeah. There are a few things you can do. Obviously, we have to look at your overall life and what's going on because you don't just attack it at 8, 9 p.m. But let's just look at what can be done in the short term to start bringing that down. So we could bring any sleep mix or stress sort of herbs, any beautiful calming potions that you were going to take. We can bring a dose of that forward. And instead Mm -hmm. of having that dose at bedtime, you could have that dose at 8 p.m., one hour before that rise usually happens. So you can try to actually stop some of that from happening. And I often will give people, when I give them their sleep mixes, I'll give them half of their dose after dinner and half of their Mm -hmm. dose just before bed. And I find that's often quite effective. And there are beautiful herbs that help to lower cortisol as well. And often they are the same herbs that are in some sleep mixes, which is like super handy. There's also, yeah. I often will give supplements as well. Like I've been playing around a lot with like, I mean, there's the usual ones that bog standard that people should be looking at if you're not taking magnesium and you've got tight neck or muscle tension, or you find it hard to get that sort of to feel your body let go when you're trying to drop off to sleep, go and see someone and and see if you might like be low in magnesium. Honestly, I had a lecturer at college who reckoned that 70% of Australians were low in magnesium and and I don't think think that's changed. In fact, it's probably worse. I think that that is the current stat. We just simply are not producing enough good soil to get the right amount naturally yeah and then when we drink things like wine and alcohol it it washes it out a little bit as well so we that's probably why we need to top up too things like magnesium like there's some there are some herbs and supplements that are pretty bog standard but also I've been playing around with some nifty extra things like phosphatidylserine which is really good for high cortisol I've been using that in some of my ADHD clients as well with some pretty good results because sometimes we're those clients, they're on stimulant medications that also mm. affect cortisol production and not in a great way. I'm having some success with those sorts of things as well with some people. Once you get past the basics, once you've gone right, your magnesium's okay, your vitamin C's okay, your zinc's okay, once you've got those basics in place, that's when it's really good to hand it over to a naturopath or a nutritionist who mm. can assess you, maybe run some tests and then add the things that are needed but only if they're needed because otherwise like 
you'll end up on 20 things. Sometimes I get people who come to me, they're on like literally like 15 or 20 different supplements and I'm wading through them all going, what are, what are all of these things for? And they're like, oh, I don't know, but I think it helps, but I don't know if it helps. And so once you've got the basics I've been guilty place, of that. Yeah, we've all done it. You should see my pantry. It's like a graveyard of little white bottles. <laughs> That's what we do. Have a drawer. Yeah. In fact, I think naturopaths are the worst ones because we want to play with all the shiny new toys when they come out. So as soon as we see a new product, we're all over it. So, yeah, I think like once you've got the real basics in place, you know, your magnesium, your B vitamins, you know, C, zinc, those sorts of things, that's when I think it's good to hand it over to someone because not only will they prescribe the right things for you and hopefully not too many things for you, but also at that point you want to be handing yourself over to someone who can start to look at whether there are underlying factors here that are driving the, the problem that you've got. So like I said, you know, gut inflammation, thyroid, you know, those mm. sorts of things need to be dealt with sometimes. And it's not just sleep. I, I know I know we're here, you know, because like you've got this beautiful sleep thing going on and, and but it's also like the, the things that affect sleep also affect mood. They also affect anxiety. Like it's a whole picture as well, like that whole mental health picture that, that we yeah. need to be paying attention to as well. So if you're if you're having anxiety in the evening as well, like we also mm-hmm. need to be looking at all of these things again for that too. And just yesterday I had a client who isn't sleeping because she gets palpitations just before bed. So wow. yeah, there's and and like we know that mental health is probably the worst it's been in Australia ever right now. Uh, since COVID and all the lockdowns and all the things that have happened, like we're not in a really good place right now. So I think there's a lot going on that that, that naturopaths can help with and a lot of beautiful, Absolutely. gentle things that we can try for these sorts of things. Yeah, and I think um, two things that I wanted to talk about from that then is mood and then also looking at seeking advice from a naturopath alongside your GP if that's the path that you still want to continue, but looking at who is your support group and what does that consist of? Because that can be multiple practitioners that can help if everybody speaks the same in the same language, basically. But I always think as well, starting with some blood work. And I speak to so many women that are a bit younger than me, but my age, who potentially have never had a blood test. What? To, to just find out <laughs> the basic information around zinc, iron, cortisol, vitamin D, but you know, like all of the things. And I think that not as a healthcare practitioner, just as somebody who cares that, and, you know, has done a huge amount of, you know, experimental work myself, the sooner that you can get a blood test is often the best so that you've got a baseline to understand what's going on. Yeah. There's a couple of things to unpack there and don't make me pull out my soapbox because I was having a good day. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of problems with blood testing in this country and in other mm. similar countries that from what I've heard as well. Our beautiful free Medicare system, you know, it does a lot of good things. I'm not going to knock Medicare. My husband got into an accident and he had to go and have an operation and I don't think it cost us a cent, right? So yeah. Medicare's got its place. But unfortunately, Medicare also cracked down on yeah. what they deem as being unnecessary testing. If the medical system doesn't understand why we would test for these things, then they are deemed unnecessary. It also comes down to whether it's necessary in order to prescribe a medication 
for a client. Mm. And this is where it gets messy. Let's go thyroid because it's a really, really good example. The standard Australian test that you will get if you ask the GP to check your thyroid will be called a TSH, thyroid stimulating Mm -hmm. hormone. It's not made in the thyroid. It's made in the freaking, I'm trying not to swear, can you tell? It's made in the (laughs) because it's not my podcast. So if you went to my podcast, it's F-bombs all day long. I'm, I'm trying to be a good kid. So TSH is made in the pituitary. It's not a thyroid hormone. It's made in response to how much thyroid hormone is hitting the receptors on the pituitary. So the thyroid hormone runs around in the bloodstream, hits the receptors on the pituitary. The pituitary goes, oh, that's not quite enough thyroid hormone, and it increases the TSH. And then the TSH tells your thyroid to make more thyroid hormone. All right, now hit that back 15 seconds button and listen to that like three times, maybe. So, <laughs> so, so we're testing a pituitary hormone to check what the thyroid's doing. What could possibly go wrong? Most of the time, it's accurate. But there will be a very small percentage of people who have got problems with their thyroid and a perfectly normal TSH because they've got the wrong amount of thyroid hormone running around in the body, but the receptors don't work or the, the pituitary is not working properly or something's gone wrong in that interplay. Also, the reference range, and this was the other thing I was going to say, this it doesn't just apply to thyroids, but uh, testing, but it applies to nutrient testing. Iron testing is a really big one. B12 is another one, but the reference ranges are different. Yes, so the, the reference range for TSH is 0.5 to 4.0 in most Australian labs. That's a common one. It can change a little bit from lab to lab. So 0.5 to 4.0. Naturopathically, perfect TSH is between 1 and 2. So if you're mm-hmm. at 2.5, a naturopath will be like, ooh, That's interesting. There's a bit of a niggle there with your thyroid, but the GP won't do anything. If you're at 3.5, oh, that's more than a niggle now. That's a shout from your body. Something's going quite wrong. We should test your other thyroid markers to see what's We should test your T4. We should test your T3. We should test your antibodies. At that point, at TSH of 3.5, Medicare will still not pull the trigger on testing those other thyroid markers, and you'll be told that your thyroid's fine. At 3.8, same. Once it gets to 4.0, 4.1-ish, that's when the tripwire happens and you get all the other thyroid markers in your blood test. T, you know, T4, T3, and if you're really lucky, you'll also get anti-thyroid antibodies which show whether it's an autoimmune condition or not. Spoiler alert, it will be most of the time because 90% of thyroid issues are autoimmune, right? This is the problem with our system. It's not helping us to stop these things from getting worse until they're at the point where the thyroid is really unwell. And this goes for other systems and other tests as well. So unfortunately, Medicare don't don't allow that testing to be free for those other thyroid hormones like T4, T3 until your TSH is out of whack because... And this is the thing that we shouldn't hold against the doctors. It's not their fault, right? I love, I love doctors. So I work alongside a lot of amazing GPs. But the only tool they have in the shed for treating hypothyroidism is, is thyroxine. It's a synthetic T4, you know, synthetic thyroid hormone, right? You can't give thyroxine until your T4 dro- drops below nine. Your T4 naturopathically I would like to see it over 15 or 16, right? Between about sort of 15 and 19 or 15 and 18 is where I'd like, depending on the person. But once you drop below 15, you're still in range. 
you drop to 14, you're still in range. Your T4 production drops to 13, you're still in range, but you'll be starting to feel a little bit shit. You'll drop to 12.5, you're still within range. Your TSH is probably up a little bit, but still within range. So you've probably got your TSH might be up to three point something, your T4 might be down to 12.5. You will be feeling tired and, and potentially anxious and potentially achy and sore and potentially not sleeping and all of those things. Your hair might start falling out, but you are still mm. not, like at that point, you can't give that person thyroxine because blow the head off, right? They're not ready for it. Your T4 has to drop below nine before thyroxine is an appropriate choice because at that point it's going to actually help you, right? But anything more than that, it'll probably rev you up too much. So they have to wait until the pathology gets so bad that you're feeling really, really sick. And that's why when people come to me and they say, I was diagnosed with this thyroid disorder, Hashimoto's or whatever, in 2019 that's why mm. I say to them how long do you think you had it for beforehand yeah. because somewhere they went from normal through to Hashimoto's and while they were mm. passing from normal through to Hashimoto's it was this slippery slope of fatigue and low mood and anxiety and dry skin and hair falling out and gaining weight. Gaining weight's a huge one in thyroid. But then, the you know, the anxiety and the depression and the poor sleep, like they're in there as well quite often. And so that's why, like, it's not the doctor's fault because really they don't need to test for those other things because the only thing, the only tool they've got in shed is thyroxine and the only thing that they need to give it for is when things get really bad. But naturopaths, we've got beautiful herbs and supplements and gut healing programs and dietary interventions and lifestyle modifications and all these things that we can do that will hopefully arrest that decline so that you don't end up in that place where you need thyroxine in the first place. We want to play in that gray area before you get that sick. And that's why if you're feeling fatigued or if you're not sleeping well or if your mood is low or if you feel more stressed than usual, if you're feeling really tired and achy and inflamed, don't wait until it gets to that point because I'll tell you right now, like once it gets to that point, it's, it, my job is so much harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and like you're saying, you could prevent the really severe feelings that are going on and changes, particularly the weight gain or the things that, are really, that you feel really agitated by, by preventing that earlier. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's not just for thyroid, like that goes for other things as well. It certainly applies to things like nutrient deficiencies and female hormone problems and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Like the sooner we can catch it, the easier it is to turn it around. You know, come back full circle around our topic around sleep, tracking sleep to understand how you're feeling. Because if you are waking up day after day, not feeling refreshed, or burning the candle at both ends and you're not getting the quantity of sleep and you know you're feeling unrefreshed because probably the quality wasn't as good either, then using that as the marker and creating a little diary so that you can start tracking it, which is going to help unlock a whole pile of information if you do take that next step to seek another professional like a naturopath or whoever that might be for you. Yeah, I'm seeing a, a, a real trend and, you know, of course it's happening because they're really fun things to do But and, and we're information junkies these days, but I'm seeing a lot of people tracking their sleep with like wearable devices, so, you know, your mm. smartwatches and your Fitbits and those sorts of things. And that's all well and good, but there's something to be said for waking up and just logging how you feel. And that's what I'm talking about. 
That's exactly yeah. what you said because your watch on your arm can measure a lot of things, but it can't measure whether you feel okay when you wake up in the morning and you take those first few steps. It can't tell whether those few steps make you feel like you're 80 years old. Yeah. Only you can lock that in a diary. And so there's something to be said for putting our 1990s naturopath hat back on <laughs> and going, all right, if I didn't have access to all this tech and all these devices and all this pathology testing and all of this cool stuff, all of these shiny play things, what would I do? What would I do with this person? What would I do myself for me? And yeah, you're exactly right. You would wake up and you would write in your diary how you were feeling and then you might be like, oh, I'll check that next to my food diary and, oh, I ate that thing last night that had gluten in it and then I had half a bottle of wine. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, sometimes those simple things are really, really effective. Ultimately, you and I both want people to feel well and feel like they can tackle the world at any point and so it's really utilising some of these basic tools that are not hard, but they do require a little bit of time and a little bit of tuning in because I think this is the other key in a lot of what is happening is that we are all genetically made up differently and we are fully responsible for our own health and ultimately only responsible for our own health. And by really understanding what how we feel and making some notes around that, it's the best place to start if you are feeling unwell or you want to feel better you know, and starting at that point and then going and seeing somebody amazing like yourself who can really help unpack that and start that wellness journey Yeah. so it looks optimal. Yeah. It's good to check in on the simple things as well before you get a practitioner involved. Are you doing the basic, basic, basic things like fresh air, clean water, like good sleep hygiene, like, you know, are you, you know, are you doing the right things leading into bedtime, like turning off your devices or like getting rid of as much blue light as possible? And then are you doing something that relaxes you, that lowers your cortisol before bed, not just taking herbs, but maybe doing something else. So that's all great. Nobody ever thrived off eating processed food. No. You know, are you eating a, a basic whole food diet before you worry about whether your genetic ancestors were supposed to eat coconut oil or not or whatever it is this week that everyone's banging on about before you reach for those sorts of things are there things in your diet that need to go that are inflammatory that would hurt most people you know is there canola oil in there is there a high amount of sugar in there is there a high amount of alcohol you know is there a high amount of alcohol in there like look at the basics and then look you don't have to have all of those ducks in a row before you see a practitioner. In fact, going to see the practitioner can often help to hold you accountable and they can guide you through how to let go of some of those things and what to replace them with in your life. But just sitting up and just taking stock of those things before you go and get help. And you might be like, you know what, actually that pizza I eat every every Sunday night is affecting my sleep and I do feel like crap on Monday morning. Maybe you need to start swapping out a few things and having a play in that space and see what happens. But it also involves us getting really honest with ourselves because we don't want to give up pizza. Pizza tastes yeah. really freaking nice. I love it too. But yeah. if we go full circle and we go back to what we were talking about earlier on, like what is that definition of fatigue? Like mm -hmm. is it just making me feel a little bit tired in the morning 
or am I mm-hmm. feeling like I've been hit by a bus? And then when I wake up on that Monday morning after not sleeping well, after eating that pizza and I feel a bit bloated in the tummy or my bowels are not quite right and all of that sort of stuff, like does that affect my work, my study, my play, my yeah. social life, my relationships? And if it does, like then we have to be brutal and start to make those yeah. changes because you're not going to get away with it forever. No, that's where it comes down to is deciding how long do you want to live optimally and then starting with that and working back about how you can start to make some of these changes. And it's been such a great conversation, Jules, and really diving into fatigue because I think that it is something that there are so many people struggling with right now. And I think that your explanations and definitions of what fatigue is and the role that cortisol is playing and the role that sleep has, has been amazing. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I hope that um, everyone's found it really helpful. And yeah, I love taking complex things and making them fun and interesting. So I hope that's that's helped. The best of luck with your new podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been really fun. Pleasure. Thanks, Jules. Thank you for listening to the Sleep by Shea podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, head on over to the show notes for all the details and sleep advice you need. If you like what you're hearing or are sleeping better, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and listen along with the Sleep by Shea podcast to wake up looking and feeling your very best every day.